Hey guys, thanks for joining us on Real Faith Radio, presented by Praise Chapel Las Vegas. Subscribe to us on Apple and Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify to get notified when new episodes are available to download or stream. You can also follow us on social media at PC Las Vegas and visit our website, praisechapellasvegas.com, to find out more about us and give online. Thanks again for joining and enjoy today's message. Usually, I'm not the one that asked um, to minister. I usually always wait for a pastor to ask me because I kind of feel weird being up here. Um, but this time, I asked him. And he's like, oh, it's funny because I was going to ask you anyways. <laughs> so praise the Lord. All right, let's just, let's just pray before we get started. Oh, Abba, Yashu. Holy Spirit, we have ushered your presence already. I invite you to sit in the front row with us now. Come, Abba. Come, Yashu. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help me to deliver this message as it was delivered and placed upon my heart. I rebuke any distraction or assignment in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this privilege to stand here and be able to give you praise and honor through this message. Thank you, Jesus' name. Um, So the title of my message is Lost Virtue. The Lost Virtue. Um, So what would you say if I told you that I have found the key to all of life? What if I told you guys I found it? Like, I know how to do this already. This key unlocks the reason you exist, brings the presence and the protection and the providence of our creator. This key helps build the qualities of character, the foundation of happiness, and gives peace in whatever circumstance you face. We can use a little bit of that, right? Having this key extends your life, gives you good health, success, protection, you won't lack, and you will guarantee a legacy of a godly life. What do you think? Sound good? Maybe one? Okay. (laughs) You're probably thinking it's too good to be true, right? King Solomon was the wisest man in the Bible. He wrote the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, and the Songs of Solomon. 1 King 4, 29-34, if we can put that up there. God gave Solomon wisdom and every insight and the breath of understanding of the measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people in the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan and Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Kokal, Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs in his songs, numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life, the cedar of Lebanon, the 
hibis that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdoms. Now, if you guys have read, obviously, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastics, um, those, it, goes, it speaks about life, and it speaks about, goes into animals, and it speaks, I mean, everything that was mentioned here. It speaks of the wisdom and the insight that God had given him. But King Solomon lost the virtue that had given him everything. So King Solomon had everything. But once he lost this virtue, if you read in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's kind of where he starts going a little mental. Um, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Now, all has been heard here in the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Did you catch that? Fear God. But he starts the chapter with remember. That might have been the other um, version. Remember the creator. So the lost virtue is fear of God. I believe we have lost or maybe never understood what the fear of the Lord is. Psalms 25, 12. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways that they choose. Isaiah 11:3. Those who are left in Zion, who remain in Jerusalem, will be called holy. All who are recorded among the living in Jerusalem. 33:6. Isaiah 33:6. He will, be, he will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to the treasure. So when we walk in godly fear and we treasure it, it empowers us to stay submitted to the truth, which brings us on the path of life, which brings blessings. The word of God talks about two different fears. One we should always have and one we shouldn't, right? Because the book, of, the book says do not fear. But now we're talking about the fear of God. So the, the, the first is the, the spirit of the fear. The first is the spirit of fear. Romans 8.15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So this verse states that the type of fear, this this type of fear, this, hold on, the spirit of the fear, spirit of fear, is the one that puts you in bondage, okay? That's the one that the word of God tells you that we should not live in, right? We, we are not to, um, fear we're not to walk in fear um that's the one that puts us into bondage second timothy 1 7 so the spirit you 
Hold on. It's coming. There we go. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Okay? So God doesn't give us this type of fear. Okay? There is a huge difference in the spirit of fear and the fear of the Lord. The spirit of fear keeps you in bondage. The fear of the Lord brings blessings. Exodus 20:20. Moses said to his people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So here Moses is differentiating, differentiating, differentiating between being scared of God and having the fear of the Lord. Someone who is scared of God has something to hide, right? Normally, if we're afraid of something, for example, if we were to get in trouble and our parents ask us, hey, what are you doing? You're, most of us won't come out and be like, well, I was doing this and this and that, you know, I wasn't supposed to be doing No, a lot of us won't say anything because we don't want to get in trouble. So it's the same aspect with, um, with God. So most of the time, if you're in fear of God, it's because you have something to hide. Okay? Um, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God because they knew they messed up, right? The minute they bit into the apple, what did they do? They went and hid. And then the Lord started looking for them, and he couldn't find them. Well, he was looking for them. Well, he knew by that time. But they were, they, they were hiding because they knew that they had already messed up, okay? But the person who fears God has nothing to hide. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord should be you being terrified of being away from God. Not, not afraid of him, but being away from him. Okay? The person who fears God doesn't say, how close can I get to the line of sin without backsliding? The person who fears God says to themselves, I want to be so close to God that I can't even see where the line of sin is. The fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. It's causing you. The fear of the Lord is not being scared of God, which is causing you to withdraw from him. Because you can't have or enjoy intimacy with someone you're afraid of. Right? If you're in a relationship, you enjoy that intimacy because you you want to be with that person. You're not afraid of them. Unless, you know, you have certain circumstances, but <clears throat> so you may be asking, what is holy fear and what does it mean to fear the Lord? Hebrews 12, 28. 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So here, the word, the word reverence is a profound adoring 
but like a, a deep respect, right? When you, when you have reverence for somebody, you know, for example, you are not going to talk to somebody one way and then want to talk to them the same way to pastor, right? There's a certain reverence there. There's a certain um, uh, respect that you have for pastor. It's the same thing with the Lord, okay? When we are worshiping, what are we doing? We're in awe, or at least you should be in awe of what he's doing in your life and what he has done. Um, that should put a reverence in your heart to be like, wow, the Lord, like this is what the Lord has done in my life. Um, godly fear is fear, dread inspired by something great and terrific to strike with fear and with reverence. That's what godly fear is, okay? I know some of these words are really scary. I'm like, dread? Eeks. Um, so holy fear draws you in. It doesn't push you away. To fear God is the reverence and to be in complete awe of who he is. So let me show you what fearing the Lord looks like. In the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is a respect, um, a great respect. Okay? It's like a very, it's a deep respect, kind of what, we were, what I was referring to with pastor. Um, when you respect someone greatly, you esteem them, you honor, you adore, you adore them above and beyond anything else. Fearing God, we take on his heart, we love what he loves, and hate what he hates. That is what fearing God is, what fearing God is, okay? We take on his heart, we love what he loves, but we hate what he hates. What matters to him should matter to us. To fear God is to hate sin. Not the person, it's a sin. To fear God is to hate injustice. To fear God is to depart from evil in every sense, in your thoughts, in your words, and even in your actions. To fear God is not to lie, to make something look like something that goes against God. To fear God is to walk in authentic humility before God and others. To fear God is to give him praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and worship that he honestly deserves. To fear God is to give him all that belongs to him. To fear God is to tremble before him in awe and wonder. It is to give his word, his presence, full attention. To fear God is to obey him. It's not just a desire, but an inward force determined to carry out his will no matter the cost. So no matter what it's going to cost you, if it's his will for you to do and your purpose, then you're going to do it at every cost. That's what the fear of the Lord looks like. It's where we do willingly and immediately obey, even if it doesn't, if you don't see the benefit or it even makes sense to you. And I can be honest, I'm not one that is obedient as soon as he speaks, because I contemplate <laughs> and I think about it. Um, 
but the Lord has been working on that with me um, a lot. Um, to fear God is not complaining, murmuring, or grumbling. To fear God is to submit to his authority, respect, and honor, and also to admit, submit to who he has placed you under. Also to obey that authority with the exception of sin will being committed. The fear of the Lord shapes our thoughts, our intentions, our words, and our actions. And the list goes on. The fear of the Lord is a gift from the Holy Spirit. That's something that's cultivated. The Holy Spirit cultivates that within us. As well as a certainty that God will supply us with the grace that we need in order to keep from offending him. Our desire not to offend God should not come from duty or like you doing God a favor. It's like, hey, I'm doing you a favor, Lord. I'm not, I'm not sinning today, okay? <laughs> but it should come from the love that you have for God. So think about this. The God that created you, which, let's face it, he didn't have to. He didn't have to create us. But he did. That's how much he loved us. He put everything into place for us to live a life of peace, love, joy, abundant blessing, and so much more in exchange to have a relationship with us. A genuine relationship. So we were created to have a relationship with God. That's really our only purpose. Our only purpose was to have a relationship with God. And if you can be honest, a lot of us don't know how to be in relationships. Either you are a giver that gives too much, or you're a taker. And sometimes a relationship with the Lord, we're just a bunch of takers. <laughs> a lot of us, most of that comes from our upbringing, which, you know, that's a whole different sermon right there. Um, but God loved us so much that he put safeguards, kind of like when you go bowling, you know how when you, when you bowl, it's like those little safeguards so that the ball doesn't go on the other lane. So God put those little safeguards so that when you are on the right path, you kind of stay on that path. The, the safeguards are to kind of prevent you from going either side, which obviously if you go to the sides, you're, you're sinning. So he's keeping you on that, on that straight path. Um, but he loved us that much that after creating us, he placed these bumpers <laughs> to protect us all in exchange for one thing. Again, it's an intimate relationship with us. He did all the hard work. Honestly, he did all the, we just show up. Our job is just to show up. He already did the hard work. Everything's already done. Psalms 139, 17, 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they were outnumbered the grains of the sand when I wake and I am still with you. His thoughts of us are outnumbered by the grains of sand. And I, I mean, I, I'm, 
most of us have probably gone to the beach, and if you get sand, I like to lift up the sand, but if you look at it, each there's like little grains, right? It's the individual little grains. And in one handful, God, who knows how many are there? So can you think of, it says, the, the verse says, his thoughts about us outnumber the grains in the sand. And I'm assuming it's not just talking about Santa Monica Beach if you're from California. All of the grains of the world, those outnumber the thoughts that he has for us. So it doesn't matter how much you love a person or a person says they love you. Their thoughts can never outnumber the thoughts that God has for you. So I'm going, next month, I'm going on 25 years of being married. Thank you, thank you. And if, probably, I mean my family, but some of you would know my husband. My husband loves me. I mean, he loves me, adores me, like, like silliness. Um, <laughs> but when I was thinking of this, I'm all like, as many times as my husband has told me he loves me in the last 25 years, even that does not even match up to what the Lord thinks of me. And that to me is just like, whoa, you love me more than my husband loves me? <laughs> but yeah, that's how much he loves us. So for years, I've struggled with rejection from the time I was a little girl. Well, that rejection built a strong woman on the outside but a broken little girl on the inside. Oh, I was trying not to cry up here. Oh. Stop talking at me. Thanks. I'm good. Thanks. I can never get through one of these without crying. But after being saved for 17 years, I knew my worth. Up here. but couldn't understand it in here. I knew it up here because I was told, but it, would, it wouldn't make the connection from here to here. But God has started me on a journey. It started in March. It started when I took this new position at work and um, at the you know at the beginning I thought oh lord like you're taking me away from everything 
that matters to me. You're taking me away from Sunday church. You're taking away from my family time. You're taking me away from the things where I feel connected. But I think back and you know, it's like, even though I'm not here, and I know probably the Sunday people think that I'm, you know, backslidden or something, but I'm here. Um, the Sunday people. <laughs> I'm working on it. Um, but even though I'm not here on Sundays, the Lord has been moving in a tremendous way in my life. And it's funny because I think last week, Pastor asked me, he goes, well, how are you doing? I go, I'm doing good. He goes, no, but are you really? I go, you know, he's like, well, when are you coming back Sundays? And I go, I don't know, but, you know, we'll see. Um, he goes, you know, because he's like, you're missing out. And I'm like, I'm really not, though, Pastor. I'm really not because I might be missing out what's happening here on Sundays, but the Lord has me on an assignment out there that it's a different field. It's a different field, and and I think the position that I have gives me more flexibility because now I'm going into um, more critical patients, and he's having me, you know, if you guys know, you know, I took the position, and I'm doing the studies of the brain, and while I'm putting my wires and the Lord's speaking to me because I have enough time to talk to the Lord because I can't talk to the patient, but it's like he's telling me, okay, I need you to pray for them. And I'm like, all right. So in my head, I'm, you know, I'm praying for the, you know, no, no, no. I need you to whisper in their ear. So I'm like, all right, you know, so I'm, I'm praying in their ear. Um, and a few times as I pray, it's, it's the Lord is so awesome. I'll pray one day, and the next day I just happen to walk by the room, and they're off of their ventilator, and they're sitting watching on TV, and I'm all like, what? You were just on a ventilator yesterday. And I walk by, and they're like sitting, and they don't, I mean, they don't know who I am, obviously. They, they, you know, they couldn't open their eyes to see me. But that's, it's kind of those things that the Lord is showing me, like, see what, see what I'm doing? You see here? You see here? And it's, that's, I gotta, that's, that's like another testimony for that, but. Oh, but it's, so I'm missing out maybe on my Sunday reunions here with everybody, but I'm not missing out because the Lord is doing something awesome in me out there when I'm not here. And he's doing all of that to help me understand and to show me my worth in him. See, you and me were bought at a high price. First Corinthians six twenty, please. please. <laughs> you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. His bid for your life is found in the famous scripture. We all know it. John three sixteen. 
God saw our value, the same worth as Jesus. He, obviously we can never be like Jesus, right? We, at least not to who, the, who he actually is. We strive to be like him, but can you think of the fact that God saw our worth the same as Jesus? He valued us that much. His own son. His own begotten son. And he sacrificed his only son to make us I don't want to say at the same level, but at the same that we would that we, he that we would be recognized like like Jesus. I'm trying. In my head, I have it all out, but I can't think of it. But just think of that's how much he valued us. When honestly, growing up, that's not the type the value I had on myself, and I probably a lot of us the same way we didn't value ourselves that much but we have that much value so think about it if you look back or just think back about a week and what you have done could you say your worth is as much as Jesus let's just just you know take back just in tomorrow just I mean tomorrow, tomorrow yesterday whatever little things that you did either whether people saw it or not, or just in last week, you know, those little attitudes, those little words that slip out of our mouths, those little actions. And yet, God saw our value the same as Jesus. Well, obviously it was through Jesus, though. I can't fathom, like, I can't wrap my head around that. Like, I'm telling you, after 17 years of being saved, I'm just now understanding my worth in God's eyes and how much he, and I knew, like I said, I know all this stuff, like I, you know, we read it, we, you know, it's preached, but I think when, when certain things happen in your life and God shows up, it's kind of like, oh man, you showed up for me there. You loved me that much. If we would have been worth one penny less to God, then the value of Jesus, then the exchange wouldn't have made, it wouldn't have been an even exchange. So if we would have been worth one penny less than the what Jesus is worth, the exchange that God did for Jesus' life wouldn't be worth it to him. He wouldn't have gained anything. There's no, um, usually when you buy something, it's, you know, it's kind of, um, there's a value to it. But if we would have been, like I said, one penny less than what Jesus is worth, our, 
it wouldn't, it, Jesus wouldn't have came out with any, any, um, oh my gosh, what's the word? With any gain from it. He wouldn't have gained anything. So he would be giving something more valuable for something less valuable. Does that make sense now? John 17, 23. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. So all of this for an exchange of an intimate relationship. That's pretty much all he's requiring of us. I keep saying an intimate relationship because we can have a relationship with anybody, but the intimate part it w is what makes it better. I can have a relationship with anybody in here, but it's that intimate relationship that I have with my husband that it's different. It's that oneness, that connection that you can say, he knows me from the inside out. The word intimate comes from two Latin words. Intus, which is within. In, intimus, very secret. So intimate, within, very secret. Okay? So it's like a very, well, obviously, intimate, right? Most of us would think a relationship, a relationship with, you know, husband and wife. Well, that's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. He is, he is our groom after all, right? So when you join these two, it's the innermost secrets, okay? So the actual definition of intimacy is a word used to describe an affectionate connection between two close friends on levels far deeper than merely an acquaintance, which is someone we've met or known slightly, but not well. Being intimate goes both ways, though. Both people need to know each other, innermost desires and thoughts. You're not in an intimate relationship when only one person is invested and not the other one. That's not an intimate relationship. So God knows our very thought and desire, and he is invested with the relationship with us. He knows when you wake up. He knows when you lay down. He knows every fear, anxious thought you have. He knows those deep desires that no one else knows. He knows every hurt and every tear that has rolled down your cheek. He knows every hair that is on your head, even the ones that fell out when you were getting ready to come to church. But can you say the same about God? If he knows you that intimate, can you honestly say the same thing about God? Be because scripture says that his sheep know his voice. If you're in an intimate relationship with the Lord, you're going to hear his voice. Do you know his heart? What hurts him? What brings him joy? Because if we did... 
We wouldn't do what hurts him, but we do we would do more of what brings him joy. Do you know Yeshua that well? Do you pray Psalms 139.1? Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. When he does show you, because <laughs> that's one of the things I've been asking the Lord to show me what's in my heart because I need to cleanse that out. And he's taking me way back. <laughs> He's going back for that little girl. So when he does show you what's in your heart, what do you do with that? It's just like, oh, okay, that's good to know, good information. Or do you try to change it? James 4, 8. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, <laughs> and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It's kind of pretty straightforward there. God will come as close as you want him to. You can keep him as an acquaintance where you barely know him. You can keep him as a friend where you occasionally will get together Laugh, talk, hee hee hee, hee joke over there. You can keep them as a BFF, where you share your surface desires and your thoughts, or you make you can make them your husband, a husband-wife relationship, where there is true intimacy, where you. Two have become one, where he knows your deepest desires, your thoughts, just like you know his. Where both your hearts beat as one, that's what I want with God. That's where he's been taking me on this journey. So why do we remain distant when we can become intimate with him? I can give you a few excuses. Laziness. A relationship takes work. And it's much work. And no one wants to do it. Sacrifice. A relationship takes sacrifice. You will have to cut things out to make room for him. Example, TV, social media. Sometimes we're scared to see what the Lord would show us about yourself. Especially, especially when, you know, when I thought one way about myself and then him show me something totally different. Pride. Having to fully rely on God for everything. And the list goes on. So my question, what excuse are you using? 
Your excuse could be different from the same, it could be different from mine or it could be the same as mine. But let's face it, it's excuses. Proverbs 2, 5, please. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So the fear of the Lord is an adoring and deep respect. And that's how we get to know him. And I've already shared that with you guys. I remember asking the Lord, um, you know, when um, I got to a place where I was like, Lord, I'm missing out on everything. Like, I'm missing out on Saturdays, you know, things. I'm missing out on Sundays, you know. You know, we usually have parties on Saturdays or something's going on. And, um, and I asked him, I'm like, Lord, like, What's going on here? You know, I started complaining because I was working on days that things were happening. I was complaining about the job I had. I had. I was complaining about the job that I had been praying for for two years. For two years, I prayed to get into this position. I was complaining about a blessing and an answered prayer. But in that, he said, I'm going to change your perspective, and I'm going to give you spiritual eyes. And that's what he's been doing. There's so much that he's been doing. Like I said, too much to share. This is like a testimony, an all-night testimony thing. <laughs> In all of this, he has been teaching and helping me understand what the fear of the Lord truly means. And I wanted to share this with you because if the Lord, in a matter of months, can change the things within my life, I think he can do it for you. If we come to an understanding of what it truly means to fear the Lord. I always thought that fearing the Lord was kind of being afraid of going to hell. And yeah, that's probably something we should be afraid of. But the fear of the Lord, I didn't quite understand that. And now I'm starting to understand and it's... Connecting me more with the Lord. I'm at a deeper level with him. I'm not confused when he speaks to me anymore. Before I was like, that's not the Lord. No. Is that me? My own thoughts? No. no. But now it's like, no, that's you, Lord. He's having me mend relationships. He's, having, he's realigning me. Literally giving me a different perspective. A different perspective of who I am, 
how I walk, how I see him, and he's lining it all up. And I think when the, the Lord is done with that part of my life, I think that's when he'll release me and be like, all right, you can go back to church on Sundays now. So I handed out a little, I don't know if you guys opened them, but they're little keys. And on there is a scripture. Um, Jane, I don't think I gave you Psalms 115.11. I don't think I gave you that one. But this is just a reminder. I'm giving you the key because this key unlocks that intimate relationship with the Lord. That relationship that the Lord created us for, that relationship that he sacrificed his son for, that relationship in all reality that is going to help us cross over. Because that understanding of awe and reverence that we would have for him and the love, that is what's going to keep us on the right path. Not look side to side, not look back, remove the worry. Can I be honest? I, I don't worry anymore. I don't worry. And even though things come at me, I don't worry. Because first of all, I don't have the answer to it. I have no control of it. My only job is to pray about it. So why am I going to worry about something that I know I have no control, that I can't do anything, but all I can do is take it to the God that has control over it and that can answer my prayers? I used to worry about everything and anything. And it's funny because I'll sit when I'm at the doctor's office and I'm putting the wires and these patients are telling me, you know, and they're scared and and I tell them I go, I don't I don't worry about things. He goes, "Why not? Why why, why aren't you worried?" And I I have no control of it. But I know the one who has control of it. And they're like, oh, I want to get to that place. I go, you can. <laughs> you can. And it's not, my, it's not like my life is all together right now. It's really not. But I'm not, I'm not going to worry about things. You know, even on Sunday when my mom shared, you know, about my dad, like a medical thing. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it because I know God is in control. I just want you guys to experience what I've been experiencing with the Lord. And although some might be like, well, you're not in church. I think that was the problem, that I was here and I was seen, but I wasn't seen with the eyes that the Lord wanted me to see. And he had to remove me from the situation 
to show me something outside of here. And he's placing people in my path. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm getting the opportunity of even sharing more about the Lord. And it's like he's building that up. He's building it up. And it's like, you know, before I would kind of just wait for somebody to, oh, oh, you spoke about it. I can come in now. It's like you open the door. Well, I'm going to put my foot in. And I'm going to, now it's like, no. Now I'm starting the conversations. But I've come to the understanding of the reverence and the awe that I have for the Lord. And he's done so much in my life. And and I think at times I just, well, thank the Lord, praise him. But now it's like, wow, Lord, this is what you've done. Look who I am now compared to 17 years ago. And I mean, and my family can testify for the type of person that I was. You know, I think my son saw the worst of me. (laughs) But to come to an understanding that, oh man, God, the Lord, you have me. Lord, you have me. I am worth something. When I had no value and I felt no value, little little did I know that the Lord had me even when I was a little girl. At nine years old, when I was trying to run away from home, I don't even remember why I was trying to run away, and we got caught. <laughs> but I'm like, at nine years old, how? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I was going to do it on my own. <laughs> But even at that age, he had me. Ah, so he's, he's just so good. Well, anyways, the key that I gave you guys is just a reminder that you hold the key of this relationship that the Lord wants with you. He wants it bad. But how bad do you want it? How bad do you want that relationship with the Lord? Because... If that relationship eliminates so many things out of our lives, I'm I'm willing to sacrifice and I'm willing to put in the effort and I'm willing. And I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I get up at 3.30 in the morning to spend time with the Lord so that I'm not rushed, so that I'm not. It's like I have that personal time with him. I'd rather sleep in, <laughs> but that's the time that I can make. Like that's the time that I that I make specifically for him. I mean, I just wanted to share with you guys what the Lord has been doing in my life, and just kind of what he sh- what he has showed me. The difference, obviously, in the fear of the Lord, and and what the fear of the Lord unlocks in our lives. That's all I have.